Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin, and I welcome you to this week's reflection on faith, scripture, and life. I hope that you enjoy the time we spend together, no matter where you are in your own faith journey. And I hope that you'll take something of value away from this time to carry with you in your life. Autumn arrived right on schedule in Wisconsin this year. Someone made the apt observation that the temperature went from 90 to 55, like it had just spotted a state trooper. One night we had to retreat from the patio to escape the heat, and the next evening we sat huddled around the fire pit. It seems like the transition from summer to autumn is the one that seems the most abrupt and noticeable. It reminds me of a simple poem by Robert Louis Stevenson. In the gardens and all up in the vale, from the autumn bonfires see the smoke trail. Pleasant summer over and all the flowers, the bread fire blazes, the gray smoke towers. Sing a song of seasons, something bright in all. Flowers in the summer, fires in the fall. I like the lines, sing a song of seasons, something bright in all. I agree. There is something bright in all the seasons, even the ones where the sun shines the least. Forty years ago, my family and I returned from California to the Midwest, where my wife and I were born and grew up. And when we move, I remember our California friends asking, why would you want to go back there? The idea of the whiteout winters of Iowa or Wisconsin were anathema to the sun-loving folk from the West Coast. Our stock response was, we miss the change of the seasons. The rhythm of life never felt right in the land of eternal sunshine. Just isn't natural like the picture of the Midwesterners that Garrison Keillor portrays in his inhabitants of the mythical Lake Wobegon, we need to feel a little God-imposed hardship once in a while in order to feel worthwhile. Well, fortunately for those of us who treasure the fickle Midwestern weather, it says in the book of Genesis that God committed to the continuation of the seasons after he saved Noah and all those animal pairs from the flood. God says to himself, or maybe muttered to himself, I will never again destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The seasons are with us to say, stay, and that's a good thing. There's a rhythm and an eternal repetition, repetition built into creation. Well, no discussion of the change of seasons would be complete without including the poetry of the writer of Ecclesiastes. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a 
and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. The writer of Ecclesiastes, as I said, is a poet. He takes the image of the literal meteorological season and then applies it to the seasons of our lives. There's a natural connection between the two because we are a part of nature and we feel the rhythm of the seasons in our bones. Even in the warmer climes of California or the tropics, the angle and the intensity of the sun and the shortening and lengthening of the days creates an awareness of cyclical change in nature and in us. Well, let's talk about the fall. Although it is my favorite season, fall brings with it a certain anxiety and dread. Like the mercury in our thermostats, the amount of daylight we can apply is plummeting. Every conversation starts with, I can't believe how fast the days are getting shorter. We have a couple of visible reminders at my house. On our sun porch, as I have my morning coffee, I no longer have to pull the shades to block the blinding rays as I read my newspaper, because the sun is rising later and sliding noticeably further to the south each day. And in the evening, I sit on the patio and lament as our landscape lights flick on earlier each night. At the height of summer, they came on at 8.50. Now they come on before 7 o'clock. Although I may be guilty of sitting around idly, I think most of us feel a sense of pending loss and we watch it happen. Our sensitivity to light is bred into us. We are as photosensitive as sunflowers who strain their stemmy necks to keep their faces to the light. In the beginning, the light was the first thing that God created. Without light, everything else could not have existed. Light is our primal source. In the Gospel of John, light is equated with life and with Christ. He writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What was come into being in him was life, and life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The reason that summer is anxiety-producing is because it reminds us of the inevitable tick-tocking of the clock toward the end. The transition from light to dark is the transition from life to death, not just for the flowers, but for us. It's a visible and feelable reminder of our mortality. And so, as the days shorten, so does our allotted time on earth. The changing seasons are yearly reminders of our frail and transient lives. We know 
that fall will plow swiftly into winter. In winter, things die. The anxiety of fall that leads to the depression of winter is not inevitable, though. The Norwegians, some of whom live through winters with some entirely sunless days, have traditions and a mindset that find the positive in the darkness. They even have a word for it, kosalik, loosely translated as cozy. Kosalik conjures up the image of thick knit wool sweaters, sitting around in the glow of a warm, crackling fire, drinking cups of thick, hot cocoa. Norwegians savor the darkness as a time for meditation, reading, and enjoying the intimate company of family and friends. They even have a verb form of the word, kosde, to cozy. Our verb form of cozy, as to cozy up to someone, doesn't do it justice because it has a kind of negative, manipulative sense to it. I'm going to cozy up to her. This concept isn't alien to Americans. I know a lot of people who retreat to cabins up north, as we say here in Wisconsin, where the days are even shorter and colder to enjoy snuggling around the fire. It's part of a ski culture, or apres ski culture to be exact, where the lodge provides a comforting warmth after day voluntarily spent out in the cold. During these next few autumn months, I'm going to try to keep Kosalig in mind in my preparations for winter. For me, it could be a time to bring out my favorite whole wheat bread recipes. There's nothing more comforting than the yeasty smell of bread rising and the anticipation of that first warm piece of bread with melting butter and honey. I'll start doing planning on what I'll be reading this winter, maybe some slow and brooding Victorian novels. Oh, lest I forget, it's time to move my flannel shirts and my well-worn jeans to the front of the closet, put away the shorts and t-shirts, break out the fleece bank blankets, and I'll be set for some late fall and winter naps. Now, the forebodings of fall become the eager anticipation of winter. That's literal autumn, the actual change of seasons. But what about the metaphorical meaning of fall that I talked about, the changing of the seasons of life? As hard as it is for us to accept sometimes, we are all born to die. Beyond the tragedy of human death is its necessity. We are part of nature, and nature is all about constant change. As nature abhors a vacuum, it absolutely detests the static and the permanent. All life must give way and make room for new and novel life. I'm feeling rather coastly today, so let me share with you another of my favorite poems, Tithonus by Alfred Lord Tennyson. First, I have to explain the story of Tithonus in the Greek myth. Tithonus was a mortal who falls in love with Eos, the goddess of the dawn. Now, spoiler alert, when gods and mortals fall in love in Greek myth, 
it never turns out well. Seeing that Eos will live on after he dies, he asks Eos for eternal life, which the prime god Zeus grants. One string is attached to such wishes is that they can never be taken back. And unfortunately, Eos forgets to ask for eternal youth for her lover. Consequently, he ages eternally before her eyes until finally she turns his shriveled body into a cicada, which is more appropriate for his looks. Now that's the background to Tennyson's poem, which begins, The woods decay, the woods decay and fall. The vapors weep their burthen to the ground. Man comes and tills the field and lies beneath. And after many a summer dies the swan. Me, only cruel immortality consumes. I wither slowly in thine arms here at the quiet limit of the world. A white-haired shadow roaming like a dream the ever-silent spaces of the east, far-folded mists, and gleaming halls of morn. Be careful what you ask for. You just may get it. How ironic that the man who begged to live forever is now consumed by cruel immortality. Tennyson starts with the natural order of things. The trees die rot and are tilled under the soil. The autumn leaves turn from green to yellows and reds and finally crispy brown. They flutter to the ground and become compost for new life. They say, as God reminded Adam and Eve, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is not a frightful warning. It's a beautiful promise. We are not alone on this earth. We are a part of it. We are a part of a beautiful, meaning-filled process. I've talked to many centenarians, and I can't remember one of them that said, you know, I'd like to live forever. They are much more likely to say, I've lived my hundred years of life, and I'm really ready to die. For me as a pastor, it provided me with a great calm to say these final words at their funeral. Now let your servant depart in peace. Jesus had a similar message to what Tennyson says in Tithonus. Speaking to his disciples who resisted the idea of his impending death, he said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus said, unless we love this life less than we love eternal life, we will miss out on it. In other words, we have to be able to let go of this life to make way for new life. And as I travel through the corn, wheat, and soybean fields this time of year, this verse always comes to mind. The combines and the corn pickers are beginning to slice into the ripening crops of grain. 
I know that harvest was made possible by the seeds that were planted in the earth where their lifeless flesh brought forth new life. And I know that when the last grain is gleaned from these fields, it will lay fallow for a while during winter, but with the promise and in preparation of the whole cycle starting again in spring. There is a season for everything. And so the next time someone says, boy, the days are getting shorter, you can reply, yes, isn't it great? And then quote the words from our opening poem, which said, sing a song of seasons, something bright in all. Thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I hope life feels coastly. If you're feeling coastly right now, stick around and enjoy a few minutes from the Baltis, the seasons.